So if you noticed, and if you've been here for any length of time, we, we were actually in Genesis uh, up until this past summer, until May, and we took a break and looked at some parables uh, of Jesus, and now we are back in Genesis, and I'm really excited about this next leg that we're going to be on. If you noticed, we got new posters called Living in the Gap, and that's going to be the title for this next set of uh, stories that we look into, next part of the Bible that we seek to understand, is Living in the Gap, because there are going to be promises given, but not fully realized, and so there's going to be a gap between when they were given and when they're realized. This morning, we're gonna see those being given. And so this morning, we're gonna see the first example of living in the gap. And so the sermon title this morning is called Walking by Faith in the Gap. And we're gonna see Abram take that on. The big idea I want you to walk out with this morning is this. God calls broken people to trust his faithfulness and to walk by faith in the gap. If you're taking notes, jot that down. If you're not, I hope you walk out of here with something like that big idea in your mind as you're walking out. All right, so we're here. We've read God's word. Let's ask God to open our, the, the eyes of our heart to receive, to see what he would have us to see this morning. Let's pray. Father, would you please open our hearts Would you open the eyes of our hearts to see the glories, the majesties of your word, and may we be willing to change as a result of seeing the truth contained within. Would we be humble enough to receive and to be changed by it? We ask all this in Christ's name, amen. So in the first part of this series, we walk through Genesis 1 through 1126, and of course we're picking up in verse 27, but from Genesis 1, we have seen God active in his creation. He not only creates, he blesses. He gives commands and blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And when in Genesis 3, the crown of his creation, Adam and Eve, the first humans rebelled against him, He was faithful in following through on the curses by sending them out of the garden. He also, though, extends free, unearned, undeserving grace that we even sang about this morning. To Adam and Eve, this grace looked like atonement and forgiveness for their sins. God also showed them then how to worship him and gave them the good news of Genesis 3.15 that one day, the offspring of the serpent would have its head crushed by the offspring of the woman. Then we saw in chapter four that enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent really kick off, quickly show itself with the spiritual offspring of the serpent, Cain, killing his brother, the one who offered right sacrifices, right worship to God, the godly seed. He killed him, he murdered him. This is only the beginning of the effect of sin on humans, though. 
Cain is cursed, God is faithful in cursing him, and Seth is the substitute. He's faithful to his promise in Genesis 3.15. Seth is the third son born to Adam and Eve, and he is the substitute for this godly line, and his line begins multiplying. Then we see in Genesis 6 through 9, the story of Noah. God is, again, active in judging the out-of-control evil in the hearts of men by sending the flood to punish sinful humanity. But God is gracious. He's gracious. He finds Noah. He selects Noah, and he shows grace to Noah. He promises to protect him from the coming flood, preserving this godly line. Then he blesses Noah after the flood by saying to him, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Noah's descendants then increase and multiply greatly. God's blessing, his command was fulfilled, all except for the filling the earth part. In the beginning of chapter 11, the people sought to rival God's own greatness by reaching the heavens and making a name for themselves by building this tower, the Tower of Babel. So God judges their self-idolatry by confusing their languages and dispersing them all over the face of the earth. God's plans won't be thwarted. From Adam to Noah, we see 10 generations. Then from Shem, Noah's son, to Abram, who we find today in our story, there are another 10 generations. But at the end of both of these periods, Sin held sway and the worship of God had evaporated. Yet God would be faithful to his promise to Adam and Eve that there would be an offspring of the woman who would one day be their savior and crush their greatest enemy, the serpent. And so here we come to the end of chapter 11 and as we finish reading this this 27 to 32 verses at the end of chapter 11, we'll be left wondering, well, where is the godly line? Where is this line of descendants, this offspring that is going to continue this godly line? And this is the question that the author of Genesis actually wants us to be asking. He wants us to be asking, where is this godly seed? Because all we see is brokenness. And that brings us to our first point this morning, and that is this. We are broken. We are broken. While it may not seem like it, this section, this 27 to 32 section of verses is crucially important for laying the groundwork and setting up a couple of the main themes that we will see all throughout Genesis. So let's go ahead and read again verses 27 to 32. Read those with me. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, or the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Izcah. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son's 
his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years. Terah died in Haran. What strikes you in these two paragraphs? There are two themes that really pop out, and it's this. We see a broken family tree, and we also see a broken journey. These are two ways that we see here in Abram's life that we are broken, that he is broken. We're introduced to Abram and his family tree through the line of Terah, his father. Verses 27 to 29 essentially give us this family tree, if we can have that popped up up there. There we go. We have Terah. We have the three sons of Terah. And we have um, the marriage between Nahor and Milcah, Haran's daughter. We have Lot. And then we also have Abram married to Sarai. And those names that are highlighted are the ones who make that journey from Ur to Haran. Now, Haran, yes, is a name of Terah's son. But in Hebrew, the letter that begins Hera, or Haran it has more of a ch or guttural kind of sound. Um, and so it would have been drastically different than Terah's son's name. And so the city of Haran um, is, means crossroads, whereas Haran meant wilderness explorer. And so vastly different. However, in our transliterated English translation, we have Haran and Haran. Beside the point. This family tree, though, was broken in two ways. It was broken spiritually and physically. In Genesis 9:26, Noah had blessed Shem, his son, through whom would come Terah and Abram, by saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. But now we're seeing that Terah had led his family into worshiping idols, most likely the customary moon gods of the land of Ur. We read in Joshua 24, 2, the Lord say, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abram, Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. They were idolaters. They served other gods beside the one true God. This is a far cry from the description we get of Shem, the God of Shem. Terah had spiritually broken his family tree. But the family tree was also physically broken. Abram's wife, Sarai, is described in verse 30 as being barren. She had no child. So we've already seen in the first 12 chapters of Genesis. When God blesses people, he commands them to be fruitful. And a part of that blessing is fertility. But Abram and Sarai had not yet had a child, and so any Jew reading this account would have immediately seen God's blessing was obviously not on Abram and Sarai. Lest we glaze over verse 30 here this minor note key, minor key note, is supposed to hit us different. It's suppo we're supposed to read that Sarai was barren. She had no children. 
We're supposed to feel that. The way that the author Moses stresses Sarai's infertility is significant. We've already seen the effect of sin on the world in the flood and on the human heart in murder and idolatry and rebellion. Here we see sin's effect in Sarai's barrenness on the human body. Sin's corrupting effect had caused her to not be able to have children. Our bodies are not immune to sin's effects. I'm sure, actually more than that, I know that there are people sitting here this morning who have experienced sin's effect personally on their bodies. We have people in our congregation who have suffered with infertility, who have suffered from miscarriages, deafness, cancer, arthritis, Parkinson's, mental illnesses, thyroid, thyroid imbalances, genetic disorders. We see the effect of sin on the human body acutely. This is part of life, this side of the fall, and when we're not yet to the new heavens and new earth. Sarai's barrenness begins, or we, we see Abram is in a land not his own, worshiping the gods of that land, and because his wife is barren, his name will be lost forever. Sarai's barrenness here actually begins a biblical theme that is drawn throughout the storyline of Scripture. Sarai is followed by Rebecca, her daughter-in-law, which is who is followed by Rachel, her daughter-in-law. So the three main patriarchs of Israel all had wives who wrestled with barrenness at the beginning of this nation of Israel. And then they grew into this large nation. Later we see Hannah struggle with barrenness and even in the New Testament, Elizabeth. What we see is that God is sovereign and powerful enough to open and close the womb and does so to mightily work out his purposes of grace in his people's lives. Tara's family tree was broken spiritually and it sure seems like it will be broken physically in Sarai's barrenness. This is not the only broken piece of this story, though. We read in the following paragraph that there was a broken journey, a broken journey. Abram and his wife went with Terah and Lot on a journey to a territory that may sound familiar to us, the land of Canaan. Look back at verse 31 and let your eyes fall to the middle of that verse where it says, they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the, into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Notice two things in this verse. One, they're leaving Ur, and two, they settled in Haran, or Haran, as we've already noted. Ur is identified as a city of the Chaldeans. These are, not the, or these are the Chaldeans that would later take Israel off in the time of the prophets to Babylon, their capital city, and hold the descendants of Abraham exiled for 70 years. 
during the time of the prophets. And so shameless plug, again, if you want to learn about what's going on in Israel and the message of the prophets, we have BI coming up next Sunday night. I would encourage you to come out for that. So setting out from Ur, their purpose or their goal was to make it to the land of Canaan, the land that we'll soon find out God would promise to Abram. But the question arises, well, why were they on their way to Canaan? Had God already told Abram to go there? We don't know, but what we do know is that they were headed there and they got derailed. Their journey was broken because when they reached the city of Haran, they were distracted by the wealth and the luxury of Haran. Haran was an important crossroads of com and commercial center. And so the conveniences of that city seemed too good to pass up. So Tara's family settled. They saw the delicacies of Haran and decided not to leave. They were walking by sight. We do this. We do this too. When we're in the middle of a challenging season or situation, we run to the things that we think will make us actually feel better. What is the thing that you go to? Is it shopping? A little retail therapy? Is it maybe a Netflix show, binging a Netflix show, sitting lazily on your couch for days at a time? Or is it allowing your anger to turn into rage at those in your home? Maybe if I'll just, I'll just feel better if I can just let out my frustration. Maybe I'll feel better. Our longings for comfort or control won't be satisfied for long by any of these short-term solutions. Because Abram was willing, or was walking by sight, he was in actuality blind to the God who was about to call him out of his blindness, out of his idolatry. He could well be described by the second, the, the new verse in Great is Thy Faithfulness that we've been singing, where it says, I could not love thee, so blind and unfeeling, covenant promises fell not to me. I love that, although that's the bad part of Abram's experience. He could not love thee. I could not love thee. So blind and unfeeling covenant promises, they were nowhere in sight. At the close of chapter 11, Abram was settled in Haran. No promises, no progeny, no potential the perfect circumstances for the God of the Bible. With no promises, no progeny, and no potential, the God of the Bible breaks into the story of Abram. Look back at your Bibles to see how the Lord is going to respond to Abram's broken family tree and broken journey. Look at chapter 12, verse one, starting in verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here we see how God responds to our brokenness. God makes promises. God makes promises. 
totally unprompted, God speaks. He breaks into Abram's reality. When God speaks, we as his creation should listen. He speaks words of blessing and promise to Abram. The significance of this moment cannot be oversold, not just for Abram, but for the world. Throughout history, many moments can be pointed to as effecting change for humans all across the globe. The first trade ship to bring the bubonic plague to the shores of Europe in the mid-14th century resulted in the death of up to 200 million people across Europe, Asia, and North Africa. The shooting of Archduke Franz Ferdinand enacted into motion the First World War, resulting in the death of nearly 40 million persons, both civilian and military. That happened all across Europe, Asia, Australia, North America, and Asia. Or we could think of the year 2020. The Australian wildfires started out that year. We thought that was going to be the news of the year. Then the spread of COVID-19 hit, the shutdowns, the explosion in the heart of Beirut, Lebanon, the death of George Floyd and the subsequent protests and riots and the presidential election, that year affected the entire globe. But whether it's 1348, 1912, or 2020, no moment has effected as much change for the human race across the globe as this moment in our text this morning. God pronounces blessing on Abram with global implications. If Abram would have sung, covenant promises fell not to me, at the close of chapter 11, here he would be singing the rest of this verse, then without warning, desire, or deserving, I found my treasure, my pleasure in thee. God had broken into Abram's life. What life-changing words these were. And there are three parts to these first three verses that are significant for us understanding this moment. The first is that God speaks, God commands, and God blesses. So let's first look at God speaks. We see right at the beginning of verse one, now the Lord said to Abram. Within Christian theology, this is a hugely important doctrine. God speaks. He is not a cold, distant God who will one day judge us for wrongdoing and we had no idea what we were doing. He is not aloof and he is not disinterested. He is not also, on the other side of the spectrum, not a genie that when we rub the walls of the bottle, then he'll just show up for us and then he'll be gone so, so as not to inconvenience us. No, he communicates with us. He has used words that we can understand. By his word, the universe was created. By his word, he blessed Adam and Eve. By his word, he conferred grace to his rebellious creatures. And by his word, he dramatically enters Abram's story to promise a bright future. 
We read in Hebrews 1 and verse 1 that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has indeed spoken. And as the third question and answer of the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, he has made known what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Where can one find this revelation? We can find it right here in God's word. We can go to him and hear him speak. In my Bible and in your Bible, we have God's word to us, for us. You may feel that God is cold, distant, and uninterested, but he has spoken and is speaking by his living and active word. As we get into it, we hear him speak. Are you regularly hearing from him? Do you listen to God? I don't mean how in depth of technical Bible study are you doing or whether you're receiving audible words from the Lord that only you can hear. I've heard it said that if you wanna hear God speak, you read the Bible. And if you want to hear him audibly speak to you, you read it out loud. Listen to God's word. Listen to God. In this verse, we see the Lord spoke to Abram. So the Lord spoke. So God speaks, then he commands. He commands. What does he command? He directs Abram here in verse one, to go from your country, from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. We see God instruct Abram to give up some very important aspects of his life. And we we also need to note that we see these kind of in concentric circles from the largest to the smallest. First, he is to leave the country or the land that he's from, his home, He's supposed to leave his homeland. Since he grew up and was married in Ur of the Chaldeans, we we assume that that was his homeland that he was not supposed to go from, which then makes some confusion. Wait, isn't he in Haran when he receives this word from the Lord? Well, it doesn't really much matter where Abram was. God was calling him to leave and to plan to never to return home to leave his land and never to return to Ur. Um, This word country here in this verse is the same word that later God would say, I'm going to lead you to the land. Follow me because I'm leading you to the land that it will be yours. And so he says, leave your land and I'm going to give you the land. So leave what you know to be yours before, and go to what I'm about to give you. So that's the first uh, part of this uh, command. Second, he's to leave his kindred or his relatives. And And then third, we see that he's supposed to leave his father's house, those in his immediate family who are extended somewhat. He's bringing Sarai and his other, uh, those who he's hired with him, but he's bringing uh, he, he's leaving the rest of his family. The, these family structures, especially at this time, would have, to leave, would have risked economic well-being and his physical safety. The Lord was calling Abram 
to have faith. Faith is a central theme in scripture. One way that we come to understand what faith is is through stories of people like Abram in the Old Testament who either walked by faith, we watch what they did, or they walked by sight. God was clear with what Abraham was supposed to leave, but at this point, God was not clear with what, where Abram was going, right? This happens with us. God tells us very clearly when we follow him, when we follow Jesus, what we're supposed to leave behind. But our future often is very clouded. We don't know what's right around the corner. Abram didn't know what was around the corner. God told him, go from your land, from what you're comfortable with, from what your eyes can see, and he tells him to go to the land that I will show you. Abram is to leave his old life behind and begin a new life, a new journey with one with promises of an incredibly bright future. So what are those promises that God made to Abram? We see them beginning in verse two, but real quickly, these are conditional promises. We should note that. If Abram doesn't go, then he doesn't get the fulfillment of these promises. And so I think it's, there, there's a better translation to actually not use the word and, but to use the word then to kind of highlight that this is conditional. If he doesn't leave Haran or Ur, he doesn't receive the promises. So let's read it that way. Look back at verse two with me. Then I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. <laughs> Look at that. The shrinking concentric circles of leave your country, your land, leave your relatives, and leave your family. God reverses and begins to build out the expanding blessings that he's gonna give him. He says, Abram, I'm gonna bless you and your family and the world, all of the earth. God makes seven promises here, and we won't be able to go into any of them in depth, but let's touch on each of them at least succinctly. So third, God blesses. So God has spoken, God commands, and God blesses. In verse two, we see that the first promise of the Lord is, I will make of you a great nation. God doesn't merely promise a large family reunion someday. He promises that his descendants would become a nation with a common land, a common language, and a common government. Second, God promised that I will bless you. This meant both spiritual and physical blessings would be experienced. Now, this was a promise to Abram, not a promise to every individual who leaves his home behind or her home behind and follows God. No, this was specifically to Abram. And the three things, the Old Testament understanding of blessing are three things, prosperity, fertility, and protection. That's what blessing meant in the Old Testament. All three of these things, Abram was promised, and we will see them fulfilled throughout the rest of our study in Genesis. So those are the first two. The third promise, God said that he would make Abram's name great showing that the source of having a great name does not come from building a tower up to the heavens to rival God. It's by bowing the knee to the God of heaven. 
what Abram had experienced thus far was a broken family tree. And what God promised by making his name great was that he would have a seemingly endless family tree. Fourth, the Lord says then, so that you will be a blessing. Not only would many know of Abram's great name, but Abram's name would exemplify divine blessing to others and be a channel of blessing to others. Fifth, says, I will bless those who bless you. Fairly self-explanatory, but those who deal kindly with Abram and his great name, God will also do the same to them. He will treat them kindly. And then next, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, means that those who treat Abram poorly will be subject to a divine curse. We'll see this play out in multiple stories as we continue on in our series here in Genesis. When kings and nations go up against Abram, God is against them. The seventh and final promise God makes to Abram is that through him, all of the families of the earth be blessed. God promised to Abram that the world would be saturated with blessings overflowing from his family. By faith, his family would be the source of other families' blessing. But as anyone knows, Promises, these seven promises, are only as good as the integrity and faithfulness of the one who makes the promises. The psalmist would write in Psalm 115, 3, which we read this morning, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. When God makes promises, you better believe he's going to fulfill them. When God makes promises, he is faithful, meaning that God always keeps his promises. As we become more and more familiar with our Bibles, we will find that God's promises are to his people, and these promises are primarily how he relates to his people in his ever-faithful love. Many times he gives promises with I will statements, kind of like how we see that here in our text. We see the Lord giving uh, statements like I will promises. Let me just read a couple of these for you. Isaiah 41.10 is a really good one. He promises fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jeremiah 31 says, I will be their God and they will be my people for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. These are some of the promises. I'd encourage you if you wanna do some self-study, Ezekiel 36 and 37 have a ton of I will promises. Read that this week. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, lest we forget Jesus' words, he follows this pattern of I will promises when he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. The nice thing about God's promises is that they can be counted on because God can be counted on. But walking by faith in the gap 
between receiving promises and seeing those promises realized can be really difficult for us. Humans are really good at forgetting. My wife knows that more than anyone. I forget all the time. We so often give up at the first sign of difficulty and run to whatever will make us feel better. But for those who have trusted in Jesus, we are called to walk by faith like Abram in the gap between receiving those promises and seeing them realized. And so we stand on God's promises. We do what the old hymn says, standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. I may have just lost some of you for the rest of the sermon. <laughs> You'll be singing that, tuning me out. That's okay. Sing that this week. Stand on the promises of God. Look up. I want to encourage you. Find promises of God this week. If you don't know where to go for that, do a quick Google search and find, there are PDFs with chock full of promises from God to his people. Take some time this week to look at Isaiah 41 more in depth or Ezekiel 36 or Matthew 11 and grow confident in the God who made those promises. Send a text. I actually wanna encourage you. Send a text to someone this week if you do this. If you find a promise of God, send a text to someone this week. Just encourage them with this promise, with a promise from God. Just a quick, hey, remember, Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Let that help you get through this week. Love you. Let's help each other walk by faith in the gap. This brings us to our final point this morning. It's one we've been discussing all morning already, but we finally get to see it in action with Abram, and it's this. Walk by faith. Walk by faith. We are broken. God makes promises, and he calls us to walk by faith. We see beginning in verse four, Abram's immediate response to receiving such great promises. Look back at verse four. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, they set out to go to the land of Canaan. It says a little bit later, so Abram obeys. This is one way that we walk by faith in the gap. We obey. Abram here obeys quickly. We saw before in chapter 11 that Abram had a broken journey. They were headed to Canaan, but they kind of got veered off. Here God says, go. And a couple verses later, we see, we see Abram Past tense, went. He, he went, right? This same word is used in verse one when God says go, here in verse four when Abram went, and then in verse nine, we see Abram's ongoing obedience. Look at verse nine. Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Go, went, still going. He was not going to stop because of the promises that God had made to him. This is walking by faith. And for Abram, as well as for us, it is safer to follow God's guidance than ours. Don't trust in yourself. 
Follow God's guidance. We must walk by faith by obeying and continuing to obey no matter where our perfectly wise guide leads us. We see then Abram do more than obey. We see him worship. We walk by faith by obeying and by worshiping. In, verse, in verses seven through eight, we see Abram build two altars. At the, uh, and, and at the end of verse eight, we see him actually call on the name of the Lord. This could just simply be translated as Abram worshiped the Lord. The first altar that Abram built was after he had just gone through, he, he realized, okay, this is the land. Actually, look there with me at verse Six, at the end of verse six, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. That meant fear. That meant enemies. Abram is by himself with those who he's hired and his wife and Lot. That's it. He doesn't have protection against the Canaanites who were in the land. And then in verse seven, the Lord appeared to Abram This is the first appearing since God had appeared to Adam and Eve in the garden. He appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land, this land. So this is the land, Abram, that I'm going to give to your offspring. God had promised Abram a land previously, had taken him to that land, showed him the land, and Abram, believed God the whole way, and when God said, this is it, man, you have to think that strengthened Abram's faith. Instead of getting frustrated with God's timing that he's not just gonna zap the Canaanites out of the land, he worshiped. He obeyed God by going. He worshiped by building altars, calling on the name of the Lord, worshiping the Lord, and he kept going. He kept obeying. And that's where our story ends. Abram probably didn't know what hardships were right around the corner. He didn't realize the kind of perseverance that walking by faith in the gap would need to have. But what he did know was that he was broken, that God had made promises of a bright future, and he was all in on seeing how God was going to fulfill those promises. Some of those promises Abram would see fulfilled, and some of them he wasn't. He didn't see his descendants become a nation. He didn't see his name become great. He often didn't even exemplify or was a channel for divine blessing. And we know that he didn't see all of the families of the earth blessed through him. We don't even find the offspring promised through whom Abram, through, through Abram who would fulfill all of these blessings until the coming of Jesus. We see in Matthew 1.1 that the genealogy of Jesus goes to the son of Abram, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus was the offspring and Jesus as God during his life made promises to broken people just like the Lord did here with Abram. But Jesus, as a son of Abraham, fulfilled promises for broken people. Did you catch that? 
Jesus as God made promises to broken people and Jesus as a son of Abraham fulfilled promises for broken people. We come to to read in Galatians 3 that the promises to Abraham about his offspring were realized in Jesus. In verse 16, we read, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. The promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So if you have left your old life behind and trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as the one who has all authority in heaven and earth, you have realized the fulfillment of the promise of blessing that Abram didn't. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God in him, Christ, are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. For those who have come to trust in Jesus, this is what that means. God has granted to us his precious and very great promises. This means that you also have been called to go. You've been called to live in the gap, to walk by faith in the gap. After Jesus proclaims in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, he commands his disciples, similarly to what the Lord told Abram, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Take this blessing around the world so that all the families of the earth can be blessed baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And then he ends with another promise. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Until that promise is fully realized. I'm with you. I'm with you. Hold on to the promise. Walk by faith in the gap. I've given you the promise. Keep going. Keep obeying. Keep worshiping. The Lord is faithful and he will keep his promises. But until he fully fulfills them, he will continue to call broken people to trust his faithfulness and to walk by faith in the gap. Let's pray. Father, we could not love you so blind and unfeeling, covenant promises nowhere in sight. They fell not to us. But we thank you that you spoke, you commanded and you blessed and you have called broken people out to obey you, to worship you, to trust you and to follow you here in the gap. You, without warning, Desire or us, desire or deserving, we found our treasure and our pleasure in you. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and were the yes and amen, the so be it, the final word to all of God's promises. All of God's promises can be seen as fulfilled in you. 
And the ones that haven't been fully realized yet, we long for the day in which we will see your glorious return to earth to establish, to consummate your kingdom because it's so great value. We give up our old life for you. Oh, Father, we, we want to follow you. Please continue to guide us. You are faithful and you will do it. Give us the faith to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.